All right, so uh, John Gray mentioned last week, he gave you a preview, told you that I was coming up. Um, I specifically requested this week, crazy thought I would do that, but it's been on my heart, so I thought this would be a good one. Um, the topic is proclaiming liberty to the captive, so we are going to go back to Romans 6. I'll look a little bit closer, we're going to if you want to open now to Romans uh, 6.15, we're going to go from Romans 6.15 to the end of the chapter, and uh, we're going to look at some other things in the Bible that relate to that. So, Our goal for this uh, message, uh, if you look at the outline, is we're going to start with the reality of... You know, Romans six fifteen through 23, through the end of the chapter, it, along with all of Romans, has kind of, in my life, always presented uh, a conflict, a reality where it seemingly like it's speaking of a truth that, in my reality, doesn't appear true. And that's always created an issue for me. It's always created a conflict in, inside myself. And even Romans mentions this conflict. Uh, you know, Paul in his writing mentions how he has the same conflict regarding these truths. So we're going to look at that reality. We're going to look at, um, you know, this conflict comes up between the problem and the solution stated in Romans 6. There's a, a problem of, of we're all slaves and captive to sin and the schemes of the enemy into our flesh. We're slaves and captive to the world and, and how everyone else does things. And the solution is being slaves to Christ. That's pretty straightforward. Um, and I pose that I have a really great conflict between those two things. And I don't always feel like that's super real. I think Paul hits on that too. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about, you know... It's all good that we've been become slaves to Christ, but what that means is there's a call that comes along with that. And uh, that call involves imitating Christ. It's not good enough to just say, I was saved, uh, and then call it a day. There's more to it. So if we go to the reality of the internal conflict... Um, we're going to look at the locus classicus, or the, the central point of Romans here. So if you go to Romans six nineteen, I think this whole section is kind of summed up in this. I am speaking in human terms. Thank you, Paul, for speaking in human terms. Um, because of your natural limitations. Again, thank you, Paul. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That is true. That is what this section is talking about. And the question that's rolled around in my head is, um, I feel more of a slave to lawlessness than if I feel a slave to righteousness. So what are you saying, Paul, even though you spoke in human terms, because of my natural limitations, I still don't understand you. 
That doesn't make sense to me. I feel like a slave to lawlessness. And I'm going to pose that there's two people here today, people that have asked this or said the same statement that's up on the board, or the people who uh, truly think they're righteous. And uh, I'd say it's probably even more that important that you hear the sermon if you think you're, you truly feel like a slave to righteousness all the time. Like you truly feel like you're a good person. I feel like it's more important that you listen today because that's an issue. Because if Paul felt, I feel more of a slave to lawlessness than I feel a slave to righteousness, uh, he was a lot better than you were, than you are. Paul gave everything to the cause of righteousness. So let's go to Romans 7.15 real quick. This is what Paul had to say about the subject, right? For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then on to verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, and this is, this is where I want all of us to be at by the end of the sermon and hopefully every day. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because we're living in bodies of death that love death, that love lawlessness, and that's an issue. And if you can't get to the reality of like, I'm there, I, I need to be delivered from this desire to do evil I need to change if you can't be there uh, that's an issue if Paul was there we should be there so going on to the problem I want to set a picture of this problem of slavery and captivity I just told you that it's important that you get the idea that you're a slave to to sin and to your flesh and to the enemy and uh, that's a pretty big claim um I think rightfully so, our culture is beginning to really hate slavery. And that's a wonderful turn of events in the last, you know, hundred years or so. Like, we're really, uh, as a culture, like, I'm, I'm glad we're headed that way. But the, the issue is we think we're not slaves, So, like, let's look at what slavery looks like. Turn to Exodus 1, or it should be up on the board too. The Israelites, um, the nation was pretty much born into slavery. (laughs) And this is what their slavery looked like. Their captivity. Verse 13. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. 
In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. It was so bad they said it twice. There are things going on in your life right now that you're a slave to. So let's look back, or let's look next at demonic oppression. So in the New Testament has a lot of light shed on demonic oppression because a third of Christ's ministry was delivering people from demons. And it's a reality we in our culture don't look at very much, but it's a reality because if it was a reality to Christ who was living in honestly a more morally good culture than us had to deal with, it's a reality we have to deal with. So demonic oppression, there were people that were mute because of demonic oppression, people that were blind because of it, people that had constant seizures from birth because of it. I've known people who... uh, had Tourette's because of it. And if you've ever had to live with Tourette's, that's like super difficult. Uh, my brother went to college with a guy who had Tourette's who uh, before he'd go to a movie in the movie theater, he'd walk around the whole movie theater and warn people like, I'm not going to be quiet during this movie, I'm sorry. That's slavery. If you go to Mark 5... We're going to look at a specific example here. Mark 5, 1. This is a more graphic one that like really grabbed me uh, when you look at it in the light of slavery. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the uh, Gerasenes, and when they... When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains, shackles and chains, or he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This guy is like, he's so imprisoned by this oppression, this demonic oppression that like, it's more oppressive than chains. So then go to Matthew 18. I know we're jumping around a lot here. It's good. You should. It means it's mostly scripture and not me, so that's good. Matthew 18, 34. Maybe you're familiar with the story of the unforgiving servant. This unforgiving servant who's bound up with... uh, unforgiveness, uh, we could see that oppression in his, his fruit of his life here in an incarnate real way. Um, the master saying, and in the anger his master delivered him to the jailers, and in some translations it says torturers, until he should pay all his debt. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you're sitting in the pews right now, uh, unwilling to forgive someone, you're a slave to your unforgiveness. You're bound by it. If you can't forgive someone, you're a slave to your unforgiveness. You're not in control of your unforgiveness. Your unforgiveness is in control of you. Uh, then we're going to look at something I think we're all familiar with is um, stories of prisoners of war. That's a captivity that I think uh, sometimes we may forget about. Um, particularly, there's one story, I saw a movie with uh, Christian Bale in it, so let's kind of hit this home for me. Um, in this movie, Christian Bale's a pilot, like right before the Vietnam War starts, and he's flying over Vietnam, uh, and it's supposed to be a secret and stuff. He crashes, gets captured, gets put in this prison that's like in the middle of nowhere. And Vietnam at that time was already the middle of nowhere. And he gets there, and there's already like four or five guys that have been there for a year. Prisoners in this camp made out of wood in the middle of nowhere um, and you see these guys and they're all like skin and bone and disgusting uh, the one there's supposed to be a funny part of the movie but it's not super funny is one guy they all get bound together in the evening to keep them from running away uh, you know he defecates himself every night in this prison. Horrible conditions. Prisoners of this, right? And that's the picture of prisoners of war. Like, you know, I, if you haven't seen pictures of the Holocaust, like, there's people in, in North Korea right now in prison because of what their great-great-grandpa did. They were born in prison. And then something that uh, it's close to, like, it, it's something that we all know someone who's been in an abusive relationship. And this is unfortunately a common thing. That's to be locked in a home with someone uh, who's constantly abusing you, whether verbally or physically, feels like slavery, feels like captivity. So here's the picture, you know. Um, this I particularly have an example of an abusive relationship. Um, know, I'm not going to share any names or anything. I don't know the names, honestly. Uh, but it was early on when me and uh, John Luke were living at the condo, he's out shooting basketball, right? And some girl, like, comes, like, running up to him, basically, saying, uh, turn around, like, I, can I walk with you? Can you take me somewhere safe? he says, yeah, we live right here. Come with us, right? And uh, she goes on to tell us how, um, you know, she's got a, a baby with this boyfriend, and, uh, you know, the baby's with the mom, but this boyfriend and her were having a fight, and he's, like, uh, like had a knife and was, like, she had to climb out the window and run to us for safety, right? So this stuff is real. And slavery's everywhere. 
So let's look at um, the second half of the problem here. If you don't think that was a problem enough, there's a bigger problem, and that's wrong thinking. I hope we don't have the wrong thinking as we seek to come out of slavery. So let's look at Israel, Exodus 16. This is Israel's response from being set free from slavery. They cried out to God, set us free from this slavery. Remember, ruthless oppression. And they get set free, and this is what they say about their oppressors. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They were already dying of hunger. They were slaves, and they get set free, and their response is, well, let us go back. It was better there. Let's look at Mark 5 again. The man oppressed by a demon. Remember, people risked their life to chain this man in tombs to keep him away from the town. Okay, All these people also felt like slaves because of this man oppressed by a demon. The whole town were slaves to this demon. And what they say in response to this man being set free, he was set free miraculously. God came and set him free and he like instantly, like his appearance changed and he was fine. He was calm. He was free of the pain of crying out and cutting himself and, and being chained and living in a tomb. He was free from death, and the people in the town were freed from the fear of this man. Uh, or you think they would have been, but the response is in, in verse 14, it says, The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country what had just happened, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, no longer possessed, and, and the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What? A miracle just happened, and they asked Jesus to leave. Let's look at the unforgiving servant. This guy racked with unforgiveness, subject to this unforgiveness and bitterness. If you've been unforgiving and bitter, I can tell you you're a slave to it because you're always thinking about it. Verse 30 he refused and went to put... He's talking about his fellow servant. Hopefully we're all familiar with this story, this parable. He refused and went to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. His fellow servant. 
His response to being freed of his debt was, I'm going to send someone else into prison for their debt. In this particular story of the prisoners of war, uh, that movie with Christian Bale, I think it was called Rescue Dawn. Um, there's one particular guy that's in prison with him, and this is kind of like one of the main conflicts, is you know, all the prisoners are talking together about their plan to escape, right? And this guy keeps saying, like, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let you try and escape. I'm going to call the guards on you guys because I think there's still a chance they might let us out. I don't want to risk it. This is even after they find out that the guards themselves are starving and getting ready to kill the prisoners. And he says, I think there's still a chance. I'm not going to let you break us out of here. I'm not going to let you save me because I'm afraid of, of what that might mean. And in this case of the abusive relationship at the condo, this is very sad and very true. Um, you know, the first thing, obviously, John Luke and I think of is, uh, is there anyone you know that you can get here to help you out and go with? Because you're not going to stay at the condo with a bunch of single guys. She calls her her friend, and her friend gets here. And the second thing that we thought came up is, um, let's call the cops on this guy. You know, her friend in total harmony says, yes, let's call the cops on this guy. And this girl said, no, I can't. What? So that's the problem. Not only are we in slavery and captivity, uh, we don't like the thought of what being saved means. And I challenge you, if you think you're not a slave to something right now, rethink it. Rethink that. So the, tr the good news is there's a solution to this. And if, if we go to Luke 4, we get to see the solution. And this goes line in, you know, hand in hand with, with Romans 6. And, and it's such a blessing to see that this was such an integral part. What, what happens here in Luke 4 is a summation of Christ's ministry. Okay. So Luke 4, 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. This is Christ speaking in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. He searched for this. He knew where this place was written. He probably didn't need the scroll, probably had it memorized. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And beyond that, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, God. So he's quoting there from Isaiah 61, and I I know this is a lot of reading, but we're going to read all of Isaiah 61. Because, you know, whenever Christ quotes something from the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's using a principle of, of the one, the whole is in the one. So when he says like a short section like that, what he's really saying is, think about this whole big section. This is all, all fulfilled in your hearing today. Christ said, this is fulfilled in your hearing today. He said those great things and said, me being here and reading to you is saying, it's happening. You're going to be set free finally. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in the glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I faithfully give them the recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them. And they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul exalt, shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Again, this is the promise. And uh, I read this promise, and one, I'm like, yeah, I totally believe it. Thank you, God. Um, But then on the other hand, I come back to this statement. I feel more of a slave to lawlessness than I feel a slave to righteousness. When is this everlasting joy going to come, God? I experience it on and off, but I don't experience it everlastingly. Let's go to Romans six sixteen. I know we're jumping back and forth, back and forth. This is where the solution and the problem come head to head. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, to which leads to righteousness? So this is a different kind of term. It's interesting. He, he connects slavery and obedience here. Slavery and captivity are, are kind of like this, I didn't have a choice thing. And obedience is like, well, you choose to be obedient. You can't be forced to be obedient. Uh, the connection I want to get here is what happened, this, there's also a conflict in Scripture that I've been working through lately of, of God in our sin, it says that in your sin and iniquities, God has hidden his face from you and does not hear you. But then there's also this, um, if you cry out to the Lord, he'll, he'll answer your cry. How do you reconcile those two things? If I'm in my sin and that's what I'm crying out about, and God's clothed himself in clouds and can't hear me, how's he going to hear my prayer? How's he going to hear my cry? How's he going to respond to me? He does respond to us, okay? In all of those cases I gave of prisoners, when they cried out or sought someone to release them from their captivity, they were answered. The part where the cloud comes over is when these people, you know, when we in our slavery decide that the answer or the solution is not what we wanted. Someone will, God will answer you if you cry out to him. But if you're not ready to give dominion over to him and be obedient to him, that salvation doesn't mean anything to you. If you're full of bitterness and unforgiveness and it's, it's wrecking havoc in your, in your innermost being and uh, you know, it's keeping you up at night and you're just so tired of whoever you're unforgiving or bitter towards and there's such an issue and you wish the issue would just go away, um, but then you find out that what that means is forgiving them and you're like, mm, never mind, I want to stay bitter. You're choosing at that point to be obedient to, to your unforgiveness and you're making yourself a slave to unforgiveness. A rescuer came and is coming and will answer your cry if you want saved from it. But the price is giving God dominion over your entire life. That's the price of being set free. The price of being set free is becoming a slave to God. And that's why these people, time and time again, um, the example of the abusive relationship, the price here is that's a broken relationship. And your life's going to change. Is that a price you're willing to pay to be set free from that abuse? Israel, is the price of not being slaves, are you willing to go out into the desert? To get out of, out, of, out of this war camp, are you willing to risk 
going into the wilderness, into the jungle, with no promise of food or water. Which is crazy, because our promise is even better. Time and time again, God has shown uh, that he will take care of us. So why are we so afraid? Why are we so hesitant to give ourselves wholly over to him? The conflict comes here is, is the reason I feel a slave to lawlessness more than I feel a slave to righteousness is because I haven't given God dominion over my entire life. I've only given, given him parts. I've only given him, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. I haven't totally given over all of my finances and my time and my sleep and my relationships and that's what he's asking for. So just to get back to this point here, the calling, it's, it's a short thing, but if you go back and read Isaiah 58, um, you can do that on your own time. Isaiah 58 is Christ, or no, Isaiah, through God, speaking about what is an acceptable fast. And in it, if you look at it, it's a call to all of us to do exactly what Christ said he was going to do in Isaiah 61. It's all the same stuff. It's setting the captive free. It's feeding the hungry. It's giving sight to the blind. It's proclaiming the year of, of the Lord, the favorable year of the Lord, but directed to us. Even Isaiah 61.6, um, and I think this closely follows 1 Peter 2.9, is calling us priests. He's saying, I did this, and now you do it for the rest of the world. And I think a lot of us want to go out and set the captive free, and we want to do all that's in Isaiah 61, and we want to imitate Christ. We want to respond to the call. Um, but as you see up here, uh, we have to follow the pattern, guys. We can't just go to doing the call without first admitting that we're slaves and then hopefully accepting salvation from the Lord or accepting him as savior and giving ourselves over to him fully how am I going to go out and call someone to a higher standard and say you're free I proclaim liberty over you if I haven't accepted the liber liberty that the Lord's proclaimed over me yet How can a prisoner set another prisoner free? So I love when we all get stirred up for this calling that the Lord's called us to. Uh, and I read Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 and I, I well up inside and I read Romans and I'm like, yes, I want to be a slave to righteousness. I want to be freed. Oh, wretched man that I am. Thank you, God, for delivering me from this body of death. That's what I want, and I get amped about it. I get excited about it. But it's not going to make a difference for anyone if I'm still a slave to uh, greed and lust and bitterness and I'm full of demonic oppression and I don't want to admit it. I'm going to call this demonic oppression my personality and call it a day. I'm going to make friends with them. I don't want to be free because if I'm free, that means I have to deal with the consequences of it. 
It's not, being free isn't always easy. There's a price to be paid. You know, we talk all the time about how our country uh, was made free and how it was paid by a price of people to, uh, you know, make it free for us. And another price of it is, is um, you know, free is a risk. To be free is to risk danger. <laughs> you know, safety and freedom aren't, aren't synonyms. But with the Lord, it can be. And I just want us to not get past this recognizing the problem thing today because I think some of us are here. Some of us realize this conflict, but I think some of us are sitting in the pews right now saying, I feel pretty righteous. I feel okay. I'm, I'm no one's slave. You're someone's slave. Whose slave are you? Uh, We were listening to uh, the Alpha course. This is a plug for RCF. Um, And one of the things he says, he he quoted someone. I think I wrote it down. I might pull it up because it was so good. I don't want to misquote it. I'm a nerd. I write things down like this. Maybe I didn't write it down. Anyways, he said, who's... Yes, I'm a fool, but I'm a fool for the Lord. Whose fool are you? Pretty much what he said. Whose fool are you? Are you a fool for the Lord, or are you a fool for the fool? Don't get past this today, guys. Like, Please meditate on it. Because then Romans will open up to you. Then you'll hear, you'll hear, hear Paul's heart and sympathize with him. And he has all the answers in Romans for, for this question, for this statement. And I know John Gray will do a good job walking us through it. So quickly for our communion meditation, Mark 8.31, I want to point out here that Israel, you know, they never stopped being slaves. And uh, they just went from one master, one harsh taskmaster to another. And, and we're looking at Christ's time, them being occupied by Rome. And all of Israel were crying out for the Christ to come and set them free from Rome. Because that's who they thought their oppressor was. They thought the Romans were their oppressor. And Christ said, I'm gonna, I need to die and raise back from the dead to set you free. And he's talking about something that they just don't get. And in Mark 8.31, he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days and rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up this cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So as we come to the, this communion table and we reflect on the gospel and we reflect on why Christ came, he said he came to set us free and there's a cost and that's your life. And he... he He's the first one to pay the cost. So when we come up here, let's remember the price that Christ paid for us. And let's reflect on, are we ready to pay that price as well? Lord, please help this to sink in. Um, help us to be challenged by this and come into a sense of reality. Let us wrestle with your word, Lord, and... Uh, we pray that you come out as victor in that wrestling. In Jesus' name, amen.